Hey, Refuge, uh, again, it's uh, good to be online with you all here today on this Mother's Day Sunday. If you will, open your Bibles with me to Genesis chapter 12. We'll be picking up in verse 10 today uh, when we get into our text. Um, hey, let me ask you a question, though, before we get started. How many decisions do you think that you make in a day or an hour or a college term or for life? Lots, wouldn't you say? I mean, how many decisions do you think that are good decisions, and how many decisions are bad decisions that you make? Those are probably get a tossed up in the air too, right? How many of those decisions do you pray about? How many decisions do we really take to God and, and we pour our hearts out to Him and we wait for an answer and we don't do anything until we actually get an answer from God? We're going to kind of go through that and look at how that plays out for Abram in today's text. Uh, we'll be in Genesis chapter 12. We'll be in verse 10, uh, but let's think back to Abram from last week before we kind of get to today's text. Here was a guy who uh, lived in this moon-worshiping pagan world called Ur of the Chaldeans. And, and then in the middle of all that, uh, Abram heard the voice of God, and, and God called Abram out of his land uh, and to go to, and he said, I'm going to take you somewhere else. He didn't tell him where he was going to go, just to an unspecified land, and he said, and when I take you there, I'm going to bless you there, and then through you, I'm going to bless the world. And, and so Abraham believed God. Romans chapter 4, verse 3 tells us that Abraham, Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. And then the writer of Hebrews tells us in Hebrews eleven eight, he tells us that Abraham trusted God not knowing where he was going. So Abram had no idea where it was that God was going to take him, but he trusted God anyway. And so the text tells us that Abram traveled some 800 miles down through Mesopotamia and through Damascus until he reached Canaan. And Canaan is the land that, that God had promised to Abram. And so if you remember from last week, uh, Abram built altars all along the way. So as he was traveling, he would stop and he would build an altar and he would worship God. And, and, and in essence, he was claiming the land that God had promised to him all along the way. And, and, the, and again, again, the writer of Hebrews tells us that Abram did this by faith because he wasn't able to take possession of the land immediately, but really Abram believed that this land would belong to his offspring. So, so Abram uh, responded to God in faith, and, and he had nothing but God's word to go on, and, and he believed it. I mean, think about Abram's journey. I mean, everywhere he went, he encountered Canaanites. Uh, everywhere he went, he viewed debauchery all through the land, and everywhere he went, he was probably scoffed at as he was building altars and preaching. And this is the context in which Abram ended up going into Canaan. And then we get to today's text where Abram encounters a famine in the land. And so let's read today's text to see what happens at this particular time. We'll pick up in verse 10. You can follow along with me in your Bibles or we'll have it on the screen. Verse 10 says, Now there was a famine in the land, so Abram went down to Egypt to sojourn there, for the famine was severe in the land. When he was about to enter Egypt, he said to Sarai, his wife, I know that you are a woman beautiful in appearance. And when the Egyptians see you, they'll say, this is his wife. Then they will kill me, but they will let you live. Say you're my sister, 
that it may go well with me because of you, and that my life may be spared for your sake. When Abram entered Egypt, the Egyptians saw that the woman was very beautiful. And when the princes of Pharaoh saw her, and when the princes of Pharaoh saw her, they praised her to Pharaoh, and the woman was taken into Pharaoh's house. And for her sake, he dealt with Abram. And he had sheep and oxen and male donkeys, male servants, female servants, female donkeys, and camels. But the Lord afflicted Pharaoh and his house with great plagues because of Sarai, Abram's wife. So Pharaoh, so Pharaoh called Abram and said, What is this you have done to me? Why did you not tell me that she was your wife? Why did you say she is my sister so that I took her for my wife? Now then, here is your wife. Take her and go. And Pharaoh gave men orders concerning him, and they sent him away with his wife and all that he had. Let me pray, and we will dive into today's text. God, we love you. We know you love us. God, you've demonstrated your love for us. God, we, we see your love for your people all through the scriptures. You've demonstrated your love for us that while we're still sinners, Jesus, you died for us. And so uh, as your people today, as we've gathered to worship and sing and open the scriptures and learn something from you today, God, will you teach us something about who you are and what you would have for us today? We trust you in this. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, so uh, let's go back to verse 10, and we'll see what this text says. Verse 10 says, Now there was a famine in the land, so Abram went down to Egypt to sojourn there, for the famine was severe in the land. Now, the text doesn't tell us if Abram was surprised by this or not. I mean, famine was certainly a possibility, but do you really think this is what Abram expected? I mean, he had left his land. He had, he had chosen to follow God. He had said, I'm going to leave everything that I've got behind, and I'm going to choose to follow you. I'm going to leave my family. I'm going to leave everything that I know, every comfort that I have in my life, and I'm going to choose to follow you. He had stepped out to follow God's call. So my question for you is, what's God calling you to do today? I mean, he's got something for us all to do. What, what's he calling you to do? I mean, it may be something really big. I mean, it may be something bigger than you could even think that you could ever possibly uh, uh, accomplish on your own. And that's really where he calls us to. He calls us to something bigger sometimes because we have to depend on him. I, I think back to even the planting of this church almost 12 years ago now, that for to call a ragtag bunch of people like he did to go and plant a new work it seems a little bit crazy. It seemed a lot a bit crazy back then. And so God called us to something big, but we, tr we trusted and followed him, and by God's grace, we're still here today. But God may be calling you to something just as big or bigger than that. What's he calling you to? Or maybe he's calling you to something relatively small, just the small steps of faith that he calls each of us to every day. Or maybe he's just calling you to be faithful in your everyday life. Or maybe he's calling you to stay where you are. You're feeling some sense of unrest, but God's calling you to stay exactly where you are because that's where he has you and he has you there for a reason. Or maybe he's calling you to go. Maybe you like the security of where you are, but God's telling you to go and do something else. Maybe he's calling you to do something like that. The, the truth is that anytime God is calling us to do something, the main thing we have to do is to not violate his word. 
Don't go against what it was, what he says in the scriptures. Don't think that you're hearing God to say, tell you something to do that doesn't end up in the scriptures. Okay, you tracking with me there? So trust what the, we go back here to the word first. We make sure it lines up with what we think God's telling us and then we choose to act on it. Back to Abraham. I, I mean, he had done something that no one else around him was doing, following God. And after all this, now encounters a famine in the land. And, and this doesn't seem like the way the story should go. I mean, it seems like the story should go, I've followed God, I've trusted God, and now things should go pretty well for me. I mean, I've left all that other stuff behind, and so now I need things to go really well for me. But that's not the way the story went at all. It was Abram's story, and honestly, it's a story of many of us who choose to follow Jesus, who choose to follow the pathway of God. And it goes something like this. The very short version of it is we trust him, we trust Jesus, we follow God, uh, and then a trial comes, and sometimes suffering comes. It's the plight that for really, it'll be that way for all of us at least some point in our lives. Honestly, this is a stark contrast to today's health, wealth, and prosperity preaching that, that teaches people that they'll tickle their ears with the promise of blue skies and unicorns and rainbows once you follow Jesus. The story in those circles goes usually something like this. You, you trust God and you follow Jesus and you, you, you say, hey, I'm going to be a Christian now and I'm going to follow uh, what it is that God wants me to do. And then if you'll have enough faith, then you can just name it and claim it, whatever you think you want, and it'll be yours. And so following Jesus comes about, makes it much more about what you get for yourself. That seems to be the thing that is popular in today's uh, somewhat uh, Christian societies, is that name it, claim it, and that's the, that's the plight of Christians. And honestly, this type of teaching whets our consumer appetites. I mean, who wouldn't want that to be true, right? I mean, who wouldn't want to increase our material possessions as a result of trusting God? I mean, if that were the case, there'd probably be a lot more people following Jesus and trusting God, right? If we could just go, hey, I'm going to get richer and things are going to go my way if I just follow God. I mean, who wouldn't want that? I mean, who wouldn't want eternal security and financial security at the same time in the here and now? Honestly, this type of teaching sells, it draws people, and it fills seats, it's just not the typical way that the scripture describes what it looks like to be a man or woman of faith. Just like our text will show us today, faith is regularly followed by famine. At least a, a severe trial, that seems to be God's way, is that something difficult usually follows faith. Our true faith is always tested now, it may not be quite as immediate as it was for Abraham, but that testing is always coming. Uh, James, the brother of Jesus, wrote it something like this. Uh, in, in James chapter 1, verse 2, uh, he says this, uh, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. Let me, uh, let me highlight a, a couple of things for you. He says to count it all joy. So he says, you need to be joyful about what it is. And then the big word here is when. When you meet trials of various kinds. So he says, you're going to meet trials. Trials are going to come into your life. And that you should count it joy when those things come. 
And so then he goes on in the text in verse three and says this, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness and let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. So James says, trials are coming. Who knows anything about trials? I mean, everybody at Refuge is going to say, yeah, amen, bro. Amen. Uh, but rather than wallowing in the misery of our trials, uh, James says, count it all joy because there's a purpose behind it. That when we have a trial that comes into our life, that there's some type of purpose behind it. And honestly, this is hard. I mean, this is a hard saying. But the truth about it is, is that following Jesus is sometimes hard. Trusting in Jesus and laying our life down for the sake of others and following him and, and having him conform our lives and our image into the, into the, into the image of Jesus sometimes is hard. He, he says that, uh, that, that this testing produces steadfastness, that whenever we get tested in this and, and when things come our way and when trials come our way, that it's producing steadfastness. What is steadfastness? Steadfastness is this, the quality of being resolutely or dutifully firm and unwavering. The quality of being resolutely or dutifully firm and unwavering. Uh, honestly, this is how we should all want to live having our faith shape us so that we're unwavering. And honestly, this text tells us that this comes through testing. This comes through trials. And, and then James goes on to say in verse four that this building of your character is making you perfect and complete and lacking in nothing. In other words, these trials make you more like Jesus. And that's a pretty good thing. Amen? If you agree with that, type amen right now so you, we know you agree with us. Okay? Let's keep going. It, now, here in our Genesis text, faithful Abram, who had left everything solely on the Word of God, who had been steadfast in his 800-mile trek to Canaan, Abraham, Abram got whacked. I, I mean, starvation was facing Abram, and so he had to make a decision. He's like, what am I going to do? What am I going to do with my family? What am I going to do for my household? What is my next step? And, and so we go back to the text and it says, now there was a famine in the land. So Abram went down to Egypt to sojourn there for the famine was severe in the land. And so if, as we read through the text, there doesn't seem to be anything that's out of order for Abram going down to Egypt to deal with this plague. I mean, it seemed like Abram was just going down there to Egypt for a while until it ended. There, there's no indication that Abram was abandoning the uh, the plans of God. Abram had, you know what, God, you have, you've said this and this has been your plan and I've followed you so long, but right now, boom, I'm out. I, I mean, that doesn't seem to be the way that it was. It just seemed like he was going down for a while. I mean, if he was really out, wouldn't you think he would have gone back to his homeland, gone back to Ur? But no, he was just going down to Egypt while this, while this uh, famine was going on. It seemed to be the natural thing to do. Egypt was full of, of, of resources. The Nile River ran through there. And, and so Abram just did the natural thing. And honestly, that's where the problem is. Doing just the natural thing 
that we think about. See, I have a tendency to do this, and I would dare say that some of you have the tendency to do this same thing, that, that we can make our best laid plans. We can look at a situation and go, the best options for me here is to do X, Y, and Z. Or I can trust my instincts because I think I'm a pretty smart dude and I make pretty good decisions from time to time. And so I'm just gonna trust my instincts. And when I trust my instincts, then I know I'm probably gonna make a good decision or I'll just make a quick decision. You need a decision, boom, boom, boom. I'll make you a quick decision and I'll go on and I'll just move on to the next thing. I'm a smart guy. You may say, I'm a smart girl. Uh, God gave me a brain and I'll just think with my own brain and I'll just make a decision based off these things. And, and what did Abram forget to do? There's no mention in the text that Abram sought out God for what he should do in this particular circumstance. And there's just nothing that said, hey, let me stop and see what God would have me do. I mean, the famine had created the, the fear of starvation, and that's a natural fear and a logical conclusion that you would go, hey, we've got to go search out food if there's a famine in the land. And, and Abram just moved to go, hey, that, that's a fear, and so let's do something that's opposite of that. But the, re, but the issue is he didn't seek God, or the text doesn't tell us that he seeked God in any of these. And, and so Abram going to Egypt wasn't so much some intentional sin on his part, uh, it, it's just a natural, it seems like Abram's reaction was a natural reflex to just turn to our own devices. And, and so Abram didn't deny God, he just simply forgot it. He forgot how great God is. I, I mean, now we can all look at this and, and we can shake our heads and we can go, you know, we would never do this. And then the word in the famous words of Nacho Libre, we'd go, no, 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 no way, Jose, would that be me? Uh, that is not the way that we would do things. Uh, but we all live like this. I mean, trials come and we automatically go into survival mode and uh, we scheme and we try to predict the outcome and, and we kind of run through all the what ifs that might occur. And, and if this happens, then I'll do that. And if he bobs, then I'll weave. And, and so we kind of do that on, in every situation that comes out. And, and then if we remember, we go, oh God, and if you will just bless my plans as I'm going along, that'd be really great. Okay, good. Thanks. Appreciate that. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 tells us this, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will direct your paths, or he will make your pathway straight. And that doesn't say that he'll just bless what it is that we're trying to do. It says in all your ways, acknowledge him. Say, hey God, what is it you would have me do? And it says, then he will direct our path, but we have a tendency to do it like we just said. Hey, bless what I've decided to do because this is the path that I'm going on. See the difference? It's kind of the way that Abram did things. And honestly, it doesn't just go for trials, but the regular everyday activities of life. We should all our ways acknowledge him. In our jobs, we should not just go it our own way, but 
acknowledge God in our job. God, what would you have me do? How would you have me handle this situation with my boss or with a coworker or with people that work for me? God, how would you have me handle this situation in my family where there's conflict or difficulty with, within my own family unit or with my in-laws or with my outlaws or with my cousins or with my uncles or aunts or whatever those kind of things are in our home or in our friendships? God, what, what is it that you would have me do? I want to acknowledge you in this, but typically... We just operate like Abram, and we simply forget God and go it our own way. The text goes on for us here in verse 11. And it says, when he was about to enter Egypt, he said to Sarah, his wife, I know that you are a woman, beautiful in appearance. And when the Egyptians see you, they'll say, this is his wife. Then they'll kill me, and they will let you, but they will let you live. Say, to your, say you are my sister, that it may go well with me because of you, and that my life may be spared for your sake. And so one of the problems with going down to Egypt was that Sarai seemed to be a knockout. I mean, it's like va-va-voom uh, is what it seems like she was. And, and Abram was really, uh, really not too keen, and, and he was worried about how this was going to go, for, especially for himself. And so Abram knew that this Mesopotamian girl was going to knock the socks off these Egyptian dudes. And so Abram said, this is going to really be a problem. So he said, hey, Sarah, if you'll just lie, if this comes up to get us out of trouble, this will go really well. One commentator said this, this man of God, being a man still, appears in a new light, or rather in the old light, the light of his old nature. And so Abram, uh, the story that he concocted really was only a half-truth. I mean, Sarah was Abram's half-sister, but we know that a half-truth is what? A whole lie. Yeah, a half-truth is still a whole lie. And, and, and so what Abram seemed to be doing with his half-truth was, I'm going to buy us some time, okay? We're going to go to Egypt, and if this happens, I'm going to buy us some time. I mean, if they told people that Sarah was his sister and some man wanted to take her, then they would have to negotiate with Abram during this time to go, okay, this is your sister, then, hey, what do we have to do in exchange for this, and yada, 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 and then they'd have the exchange. And this would could trigger them to go, you know what, let's just get out of the country. Somebody's trying to mess with this, we'll just get out of the country. And it, and it seemed like Abram was being responsible, right? I mean, it seemed like this was a good plan and, and he was putting contingency plans together that should we go down there and this happen? This seems like a good thing to happen. But there was only one problem. Uh, Abram's trickeration, say trickeration, was not an act of faith. Abram was living as if the God who had spoken to him in Ur, the God who had promised him to be a global blessing, the God who had sent him out of the land of Ur to the land of Canaan, he was like, he was acting like God didn't exist any longer. It was like he was like he was singing the song, Abram, take the wheel. Abram, take the wheel. I mean, that's what he was saying. I'll just do it on my own. I'll drive my own bus. I'll do this the way that I want to do it. And unfortunately, Abram drove the bus in the ditch. So let's keep reading. Let's see what it says in verse 14. 
So when Abram entered Egypt, the Egyptians saw that the woman was very beautiful. And when the princes of Pharaoh saw her, they praised her to Pharaoh. And the woman was taken into Pharaoh's house. And for her sake, he dealt with Abram. And he had sheep, oxen, male donkeys, male servants, female servants, female donkeys, and camels. So Abram forgot one major detail. Pharaoh. Yeah, Pharaoh was the one thing that Abram wasn't thinking about. Now, Abram's plan might have worked for the average Joe exotic Egyptian, but not for Pharaoh. And just like, I mean, just like that, Abram's plans went the way of an Ole Miss fan's hopes in the Egg Bowl on Thanksgiving Day. They just fell apart. <laughs> uh, they just fell apart. So Sarah becomes part of Pharaoh's harem. And so Pharaoh, I mean, uh, Abram had to be wondering, what's going on in the castle? I, I mean, what, what's happening over there? What, what's, what's happening to the plans that Abram made? I mean, what would become of Sarah? What, what, what if Pharaoh makes Sarah become part of his, uh, his favorite entertainer? Or what if that leads to Egyptian relations? I mean, this is not how this is supposed to go. You got to go, hey, Abram, hey, buddy, good job. Good job. You, you've put yourself in quite the predicament here. And, and then verse 16 even throws a different twist in the whole thing. Uh, Pharaoh was so pleased to gain Sarah that he showered gifts on Abram. Uh, they, the, and in these days, they were prestigious gifts. It was like sheep and donkeys and, and servants and, I mean, probably a moose or something like that. But while Abram was being given a number of gifts, You've got Sarah, she's just left to struggle over here as part of Pharaoh's harem. And so this seems like one of those pivotal moments in a movie that you might be watching. It's like if this movie were going on, this would be the next things to happen. What would Abram do? How would he rescue Sarah? And then in this, you would cut to a commercial, and, and then you'd come up and say, next week on Abram, Sarah and the King, this is what happens. And so you'd have to wait a whole week until the next episode comes on. But we don't have to wait a whole week. But the truth is, there was nothing that Abram could do at this point. I mean, unless he was going to make some valiant effort to like rush the castle and, and storm in to try to rescue Sarah from the king. And, and of course, he would die in the process along the way. And, and, and so it seemed like a very hopeless situation. Hang on. I got two words for you. Here they are. But God. Here's what I want you to do. Anytime you see these, anytime you see these two words in a text, I want you to do this. Circle them. Circle them, underlight them, highlight them, whatever you need to do, but do that in a text. Circle those because it tells you that God is up to something. But God, I love these words in Scripture. They, they come in the middles of stories and of teachings, and, 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 and it's usually with somebody that's going the wrong direction. They're making a bad decision. They're going their own way, or they're going the opposite way that God intends, and God, or but God, intervenes and makes something good out of something bad that's about to happen. It happens in this story. Look with me, if you will, in verse 17. This is what the text says. But the Lord, or but God, that's where you would be, and that's where you would circle, but God, uh, but the Lord afflicted Pharaoh and his house with great plagues because Sarah, because of Sarah, Abram's wife. So 
Literally, God inflicted great plagues on Pharaoh and his household. And, and so the word plagues in this, uh, typically commentators think that this was boils that had been inflicted upon the people of the kingdom, of Pharaoh's kingdom. <coughs> and so boils were coming up on their skin. And, and so the text doesn't tell us that, but if you read in the next two verses, we can certainly kind of infer that for sure. Look what it says in 18. So Pharaoh called Abram and said, what is this you have done to me? Why did you not tell me that she was your wife? Did, why did you say she is my sister so that I took her for my wife? Now then, here is your wife, take her and go. And in verse 19, in the Hebrews, just four words. Here, wife, take, go. That, that, that's all, all it says in the Hebrew. And so I see it uh, like this. In my own mind, I'm playing this out in my mind. I see it like, dude, what in the wide, wide world of sports is going on here? I mean, she's your wife. Are you kidding me? You said she's my sister, so I took her in to be my wife, and then all these boils came, and now you tell me she's your wife. And now I'm like, get on out of here because you don't need, I don't need no more of this. That's the way I read the text. And so he says, just go, scram, arrivederci, out of here. And look what verse 20 says. Pharaoh gave men orders concerning him, and they sent him away with his wife and all that he had. So there's no record of Abram replying to Pharaoh there's no record of Abram building any altars in Egypt. There's no record of Abram proclaiming the name of the Lord in Egypt. He just left. So what do we do with this story? I mean, what do we do and what, how do we, what do we take away from this story? Here's what we know. Abram stumbled all through this story. And he did it many times like you and I do. We stumble through our life regularly and, and on the regular. Uh, we, we don't expect trials that are to come, but here's what we know about trials. Trials are God's way of producing perseverance and per perseverance and maturity so that we become complete so that we become complete, lacking in nothing. And so trials are going to come. Trials are just part of the life of being a Christian. Part of the life of following Jesus means that we're going to encounter trials. And, and, and Abram stumbled because when the test came, here's what happened. We know this. Abram forgot God. I mean, Abram just forgot all about God at the time. I, I don't think that Abram disbelieved God. He just forgot how great God is. And then Abram began to trust in his own schemes and his own devices and manipulating the situation and secretly maneuvering his way in and out and, and hoping he does the right thing and make the right next decision and hope that everything's going to go his way. And the reality is, you do it too, so do I. And by God's grace, Abram's plan fell apart around him. And sometimes, listen, sometimes it takes our life falling apart around us for us to wake up to our need for God. Sometimes it takes just life being disintegrated around us for us to go, I'm trying to do this my own way. 
I'm not even trusting. I've forgotten the God who loves me and cares for me and has brought me this far. The good news in this story is God sovereignly intervened because God had a different plan and honestly, a better plan for Abram. And so the message for us today For those of us who have trusted God, who have trusted Jesus, who have repented of our sins and put our faith in the finished work of Jesus is that we should expect trials. I mean, we should expect them. They're going to come. They are coming. If if you're not in the middle of one now, they're coming your way at some point. Maybe you're in the middle of one and hopefully you're going to come out of, you will come out of it some point. But if you're not in one, there's probably one coming down the pike for you at some point. Trials are coming. And and in our trials, like Abram, many times we're going to stumble and fall. But thankfully, our eternal security and our salvation is not dependent on how we respond or that we or that how we respond in every situation or that we have to do it right every time as as Christians we know that the ultimate heir of Abraham Jesus did not stumble when his trial came whenever he endured his trial he didn't stumble his faith never wavered Abram was a great man of faith, but Jesus is the perfect man of faith. And so when trials come, we need to remember this. Do not lean on your own understanding. That means don't go it alone. Don't try to figure this out on your own. Don't try to be a solo guy out there to think that you've got all the answers. I've tried it. It's terrible. Don't do it that way. Do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him. Don't trust in your own intuition. Yeah, you may, it may have worked for you in the past. You may, may, you may be a guy or a girl that makes really good decisions, and I get that too. I understand that piece. But don't trust in your own intuition. Uh, uh, Abram was one of those guys that he, he probably made good decisions, but he was trusting in his own intuition rather than trusting God with the right decision in this particular instance. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will Direct your path. Don't forget God. Expect trials, but also expect God to be with you and direct you and never leave you or forsake you in the middle of them. And then one last thing. Just know this. Expect God to always be at work. No matter what the situation is, no matter what situation you find yourself in, expect God to always be at work because he is. In the New Testament, in the book of Ephesians, one of my favorite passages, uh, this, this is what the text says, and, it's, and, and we, we can really apply it to almost any situation, almost personally to any situation. This is what it says in Ephesians 2. And you were dead in your trespasses and sins, in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, there it is, that's one of those you circle, but God, being rich in mercy because of the way, because of the great love in which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, 
you have been saved. And this is a gift. And the scripture goes on to say that this is a gift of God. Expect God. This is God always being at work in lives of people, of his people, always being at work always conforming us to the image of Jesus, rescuing people from the darkness, just like the beginning of Ephesians was when we were dead in our trespasses and sins, chasing life around us. It was almost be like living in Canaan during this time, whenever everybody around Abram during that time, even though they were in a famine, there was a dark and, and, and desolate place. And he might have been the only voice at the time, but in dark and desolate places, God is still always at work. God is at work in your life. Abram's hope for life and a future and future promise rested not in himself, but in God. God at work in and for Abram. And in Ephesians, we see Paul saying the same thing, that God in his mercy sent Jesus and for his work on mine and your behalf. That's the good news of the gospel. This is, we, we see the gospel at work by God intervening in Abram's behalf in the story in Genesis. And in the Ephesians text, we see the same type of thing, that in mine and your life, no matter what it looks like, we see God intervening on our behalf. That's the good news of the gospel. So the question becomes for you today, where are you? Are you leaning on your own knowledge? Are you leaning on your own intuition? Are you leaning on your own understanding? Are you leaning on your own righteousness? Your hope for your life and for your future and the promise rests not in yourself, but in Jesus. God at work on your behalf, in the trials, in the quiet, in the turmoil, at work, conforming us, making us, changing us, molding us into the image of Jesus. Don't go it your own way. Trust God's promises and trust God's plan, not your plan. Let me pray for us.